Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to New Hope Church Online. We are so glad you're here joining us this evening. Now, before we dive into the book of Nahum with Pastor Kat, we are going to prepare our hearts to receive the tithes and offerings. Now, if you've been joining us for the last several weeks, you've probably heard Pastor Sheldon talk about home groups. You have may even heard him say, it's not the building or the worship or even the messages that we're missing. In fact, it's fellowship. And I agree. I don't know about you, but when I'm out grocery shopping and I run into one of you and it's like... We want to hug, but we know we can't. But it's like, I love you. I hugs, air hugs. It is so hard because God designed us for connection. He designed us for fellowship. And that's why I'm extra excited when we launched our home groups because it's not just watching service on your device. It's being intentional about it. It's being, let's dive into the word together with those closest to you your families. It may be a neighbor. It may even be a co-worker, someone that you do life with every single day so that we're keeping everything safe. But here's the thing. As we trust God with our giving and our tithes, we also get to trust God that he's keeping us connected, not just with one another, but also with him. So tonight, as you give, let's give in knowing how good and generous our God is as he continues to keep us in fellowship with one another. Let's pray. Most Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are a good and generous God, faithful and trustworthy, and that you made it in us so that we could connect with one another. We were designed for fellowship. So Father, may you just come and be in our presence, be in our homes, be in our family, so that we can have this fellowship with one another and have this fellowship with you. We ask that you will bless all the gifts and all the tides that are coming in. Bless the givers and bless these homes that have chosen to follow you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, tonight we are continuing in our journey through the Bible with an overview and digging deep into the book of Nahum. Let's check this out. The Book of the Prophet Nahum This short, prophetic book is a collection of poems announcing the downfall of one of Israel's worst oppressors, the ancient empire of Assyria, and its capital city, Nineveh. The Assyrians arose as one of the world's first great empires, and their expansion into Israel resulted in the total destruction and exile of the northern kingdom and its tribes. The Assyrian armies were violent and destructive on a scale that the world had never seen before, and so Israel and its neighbors were awaiting the downfall of Assyria, which eventually came in the year 612 BC. The Babylonians rose up and began a rebellion that overtook Nineveh and brought down the Assyrian Empire. And so chapter 2 depicts the fall of Nineveh in vivid poetry, and chapter 3 then explores the downfall of the empire as a whole. But this book isn't just an angry tirade against Israel's enemies. The introductory chapter shows us that there is way, way more going on here. 
The book opens with an incomplete alphabet poem that begins by describing a powerful appearance of God's glory. It's very similar to how the previous book, Micah, began and how the next book, Habakkuk, is going to conclude. And it's God, the all-powerful creator, coming to confront the nations and bring his justice on their evil. And the poem opens by quoting from the famous line of God's self-description after the golden calf incident in the book of Exodus chapter 34. The Lord is slow to anger. He's great in power. He won't leave evil unpunished. And so the rest of the poem goes back and forth, contrasting the fate of the arrogant, violent nations with the fate of God's faithful remnant. When God brings down all the arrogant empires, he will provide refuge for those who humble themselves before him. Now, here's what's really interesting, is that you thought this book was only about Assyria, but Nahum actually nowhere mentions Nineveh or Assyria in chapter 1. And when he describes the downfall of the bad guys, he uses Isaiah's language about the fall of Babylon, which happened much later in history. And not only that, Nahum also describes the downfall of the bad guys as good news for the remnant of God's people. It's a direct allusion to Isaiah's good news about the downfall of Babylon. And so all these little details from chapter 1, they come together to make a key point. For Nahum, the fall of Nineveh is being presented as an example, as an image of how God is at work in history in every age, how he won't allow the arrogant or violent empires of our world to endure forever. So the message of Nahum is actually very similar to that of Daniel. Assyria stands in a long line of violent empires throughout history, and Nineveh's fate is a memorial to God's commitment to bring down the violent and the arrogant in every age. With this perspective from the opening chapter, the book then returns to its focus on Assyria. And so chapter 2 describes the Battle of Nineveh and the overthrow of the city in progressive stages. So first we see the front line of Babylonian soldiers, and then we read about the charge of the chariots, and then the chaos on the city walls as the city is breached, then the slaughter of Nineveh's people, then the plundering of the city. Chapter 3 goes on to describe the results of the city's downfall for the empire as a whole. So Nahum begins by announcing a woe upon the city whose kings built it with the blood of the innocent. It's an image of how injustice was built into the very system that made Assyria so successful. But their violence has sown the seeds of their own destruction, and so Assyria will fall before Babylon. The book concludes with a taunt against the fallen king of Assyria. He's stricken with a fatal wound, and from among all the nations that he once oppressed, no one comes to help him. Rather, they sing and celebrate his destruction. And that's how the book ends. Now, this is a gloomy book, but it's important to see how Nahum's message addresses the tragic and perpetual cycles of human violence and oppression in every age. Human history is filled with tribes and nations elevating themselves and using violence to take what they want, resulting in the death of the innocent. And the book of Nahum uses Assyria and Babylon as examples to tell us that God is grieved and that he cares about the death of the innocent and that his goodness and his justice compel him to orchestrate the downfall of oppressive nations. And God's judgment on evil is good news, unless, of course, you happen to be Assyria. Which brings us all the way back to the conclusion of that opening poem in chapter 1, which tells us that the Lord is good and a refuge in the day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him.
And so the little book of Nahum invites every reader to humble themselves before God's justice and to trust that in his time he will bring down the oppressors of every time and place. And that's what the book of Nahum is all about. You know, I've been loving the series that we've been going through, Journey Through the Bible. I've learned so much. And I love how they do the videos. You know, I love the illustrations. I love the explanations, how they go in depth with it. So I've been really enjoying this series that we have. And what I got from this was how God is slow to anger, but great in power. You know what? Before we get started, speaking of slow to anger, um, I just thought God is slow to anger, I am not, and I know there are parents, grandparents, uncles, aunties right now that are homeschooling children. You know, Pastor Ben talked about it last week, and I just felt him. I just felt what he was saying because the first week I was trying to teach my five-year-old granddaughter to read the words, I can. Ironic, but it was I can, and it was just like blank stare, and I thought after 10 minutes I was like, Come on! I can! I can! You know, what is so hard about that? And I felt, you know, just getting so frustrated. And I, I just know that there's... I talk to other parents, grandparents, uncles, aunties, and they're feeling the same way. So before we get into this, can I just... Can we just pray for um, our parents, our families that are homeschooling children, and also our teachers that are trying their hardest? And, you know, they're not enjoying the season either. You know, they love our children. They want to spend time with our children. So this is a tough, tough time for them also. So let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the gifts that are our children. We thank you for this extra time that we have. And may we remember that these are gifts and that this is all according to your plan. So let us embrace this time that we have to be a part of their learning and their growth, God. So please help us to be slow to anger. Help us to see the big picture of what you're trying to do in their lives and give us the, the perseverance and, and the patience to, to pour into them with love, joy, and encouraging words, Lord. And when the, the anger and the frustration starts building up, Lord, just help to calm us so that we can invest in our next generation, God, because this is our time with them given by you. So we thank you for this, Lord, and we, we ask for all your blessings in your precious name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so slow to anger. Now, we start in the book of Nahum, and the book of Nahum is funny because Nahum is the prophet that actually his name means comforter or full of comfort, which is really ironic because the book of Nahum talks about the fall of Nineveh, you know, it's the destruction, the chaos, the, the city that became this, this bloody city that was, was um, killing innocent people. It was filled with theft, and it was all, whatever sin that you can think of, that is what was going on in Nineveh. And so when we think of the comforter, we're like, okay, so what is Nahum going to bring us? You know, first of all, Nahum, not a lot of people know about him. He was an Elkoshite, that not a lot of people, he's from Elkosh, and people are like, well, where is that from? They weren't 100% certain, um, and we're going to talk about the fall of the city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and so right away, we start off with Nahum 1, verses 2 to 3, and it says, God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. 
The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way. If you guys are taking notes, I really want you to underline that in your notes. The Lord has his way. We're going to come back to that later, okay? In the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. Meaning that God has the power to destroy us, but not the heart to destroy us. Now, why did why did he why did he send Jonah previously to warn Nineveh? But now here in Nahum, he didn't send Nahum to go and warn them. It was just this is what's happening. This is what's going on. So the first thing that we want to take a look at, because I want to break this up into two parts, okay? So the first one obviously is God is slow to anger. This is what we're going to really be focusing on, one of them. God is slow to anger. So we all knew that Nineveh, you know, um, became such a bad place. And back in the day, he sent Jonah to go and warn them. And so he said, you know, um, I know that people know what a bad place this is, but why did he send Jonah? And it was because they didn't know of God yet. They didn't know any better. So that's why he sent the warning first. That's why we say he's slow to anger. He will give us his mercy. He will give us his grace. And then they repented. And so he spared them. So in Jonah 4.11, we see, And should I not have the concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So he spared them with the warning because he felt for them. He had the heart for them. And now, over a hundred years later, the people have forgotten God's ways and they're practicing evil ways. Nineveh had become known as a city that was guilty of um, shedding innocent blood, deceit, falsehood, theft, you name it. And he just... He had the heart for them before, but now he was going to discipline them. Now he was going to show up and show his power. And we should never take for granted, we should never take for granted the goodness of God. Because if we think about it, what are the benefits? You know, what are the benefits to heed the warnings of God, the God that is our creator, the God that has the power to destroy us? Because sometimes we rely on that. Sometimes we rely on his goodness. But we forget that his goodness actually compels him to stand up for the innocent and to punish the evil and their wicked ways. And so we must remember that although God has the heart for us, he is still very powerful. Think of a city or a country that is in chaos. Maybe the city, there's shootings of innocent people in the streets. There's sin going on. There's falsehood going on. Easy, yeah, to think of a place like that. And we watch the news and we're just like, man, that place is going to hell in a handbasket. You know, we have sayings like that for places like that. There's crime. There's violence. There's all kinds of things going on. And we're like, in our lifetime, think about it. We may never see 
God show up and punish that city and bring it down like he did for Nineveh. And it's not because God is just saying, I don't care. You guys are a lost cause. I'm just going to let you go. That's not what's happening. But because, because God is slow to anger, he's giving us chances to repent and to come back to him. And whether we do that or not is on us. Whether we choose to walk away from, from the darkness and follow the God of light, that is up to us. He does care what is, what is happening. He sees everything. Just like Nineveh. He already warned them before. But God knew that their hearts had strayed so far away from them, from him. So now comes the second part where God is great in power. God is great in power. You know, we say that all the time. The almighty God, our God who's more powerful than anything, who's more powerful than fear, more powerful than all the sickness. We know that as believers, right? I feel for those who don't know his power. Because there are those who don't know his power. They don't know who they are defying. Who it is that they're choosing not to follow. Do even we as believers take for granted sometimes his grace and his mercy and choose not to to look at the power sometimes even because we'd rather focus on his grace and his mercy. That's so much more pleasant, isn't it? I have some pictures from my friend Tom Krieger. Most of us know him as Pastor Tom. And the first one, we all know how powerful lava is, right? How it eats up everything in its path, no mercy, so powerful. The, the fires of lava, the heat of lava. And yet God, who is the creator, can dry up a lava tube in a snap of his fingers. The galaxy the galaxy with all the stars in the sky. An incredible wonder. God, with a mere thought, can just make them all fall out of the sky. And then, something as intricate and tiny as the markings on a butterfly. He took the time to make. He didn't make all butterflies just one color. Plus, there are over like 17,000 species of, of butterflies. And God could just make them all cease to exist. I mean, think of his power. It just blows my mind when I think about childbirth. Right, moms? Come on, childbirth? Don't worry, I, didn't, I don't have pictures of, <laughs> of childbirth or anything like that. But just the process. If you think about, about God and the power of God, what he wants, he will create Think of how powerful he is. And in Nahum 1.3, let's read that again. The Lord has his way. What are the benefits to heeding the words, the warnings of God, the creator? We can't rely on his goodness because the goodness in him will bring down the evil. In Nahum 1, 7 and 8, it says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. 
He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. It sounds dark. <laughs> the whole book of Nahum is like the destruction, the fall. But this is actually a glimpse of hope that we have out of this whole chapter, right? It says we have a, well, we have a choice to make. Everyone, every one of us has a choice to make to either follow the ways of light or the darkness. Are we going to abuse the grace of our mighty Father that he gives us? Or are we willing to change to be different than others? To be more like him? To stop whatever it is that we are doing that we know that is not what God wants for us. In that verse, we read that he cares for those who trust in him. Meaning that his judgment is specific. And it's beneficial to those who obey him. So taking a look at the city of Nineveh, grand in structure. You know, the Assyrian Empire was guarded by a wall that was about eight miles in circumference. The city, it was said to take three days to travel it. It was great. It was impressive. They were a powerful empire. But as great as that wall was, the judgment of God brought it down and it was breached. The enemies were able to penetrate even that great wall. The wall that, that, it, that it was thought to be impenetrable. It was surrounded by bodies of water in some areas and said it could withstand like multiple attempts at breaches. That's how powerful that wall was. You know, I'm a movie person. <laughs> I love movies because I love visual stuff, right? So I'm, I'm picturing this, this grand city, the capital of Assyria. It could hold hundreds of thousands of people, the grand walls that everybody thought nobody can touch us. And then I'm picturing, and I'm not saying that this is how it happened, but you know when God rises against a city like that and makes it fall, like what happened? You know, and I'm not saying this is what happened, but I'm picturing like, did, did the waters rise? Because there's bodies of water around certain areas of the wall. Did, did certain parts of the water rise to weaken the walls? Did, did the ground shake a little and then little cracks? You know, I'm picturing this. Did cracks start forming in the wall to weaken it? So when when the Babylonians came, they breached the wall and they broke through. Like, what happened, you know? Because that's what I'm picturing. People put their trust in the mighty walls, in the mighty warriors that they thought would, would protect this great city. But when God rises up, nothing can stop him. So we got to ask ourselves, are there cracks that we don't see in our walls? Is there water that's rising beneath us that we don't even realize in our lives that is weakening our walk, our relationship with him? Is there things that we don't see, that we don't think about or even realize, maybe things that we've taken for granted, or maybe things that we don't even want to say, no, no, that can't, that's, that's fine. It's not, it's fine with God because we rely on his grace. But in the meantime, like Nineveh, our walls will be breached. When we talk about 
the power of God, we got to see that in our lives. We got to realize the power that He has over our lives. In Nahum 3.12, it says, All your fortresses are like big trees with their first ripe fruit. When they are shaken, the figs fall into the mouth of the eater. You know, I read this and I thought, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, I know you can't tell this now, but when I was a kid, I was a very um, outdoorsy kind of person. And I used to love, I used to be one of those kids that used to love climbing trees. And I never wanted to come into the house because I just wanted to stay outdoors, stay outdoors, stay out till it got dark. And so when you're a kid growing up in Hawaii and you get hungry, what do you do? Well, for me, this kid, I went to the guava trees, right? And then I'd go look, and if there was a, a ripe guava way on the top, what would I have to do if I couldn't climb the tree? You just go and you shake the branch, right? And if it's ripe, the fruit falls. And when I read this scripture, I thought about that. And then I realized that that's how easy it was for God to bring down Nineveh. It was a mere, oh, their sins have made them ripe for the picking. Shake the tree the fruit falls, Nineveh fell. And so I thought, wow. You know, the power, the power of God, where it's something like that, where it's compared to that. You know, and, and God, I, I know I'm saying this, but God, because he's so full of grace and mercy and he does love us, sometimes we take that for granted. And I picture God as, you know, that one friend or that one uncle, or that one person in your family, big, big guy, big, strong guy. You know, I remember in, in high school, uh, we had this group of friends, and there was this guy in our group, and nicest, most humblest guy, big, strong guy. He was the biggest guy in the whole group. So what did we call him? Of course, we called him Tiny. Okay, that was his name. And in the same group, the smallest guy was like the feistiest guy. He wanted to fight everybody. You know, he, he'd be the loudest guy in the group. You know, there was that, that guy. And Tiny was so funny because all Tiny had to do was just look at him and just go, Hey. And the guy would stop. Everybody would stop. Or he'd just give him a look. Because everybody knew that as nice and humble as he was, what do we always say about those people? Oh, they're so nice. Just don't make them mad. That's right. Just don't make them mad. And I picture God like that times a thousand, you know, where it's like, yes, he loves us. Yes, he has grace for us. Yes, he will forgive us. But what we learn from Nineveh is that he will destroy. Don't make him mad. Nineveh fell. Nineveh fell so far away. And this is a city that at one time God spared. This is a city that at one time God said, no, I don't want to destroy you because you don't know any better. And so he sent the warning. They repented. But now they had fallen so far away. So what does that tell us? That tells us something that we should really pay attention to about God. That God doesn't care about the past. You know how we say that to people who, new people who come to church? Oh no, I don't want to come to church because you know the things I've done. And what do we say? We say, 
You are a new creation in Christ. God doesn't care about your past. It's where you are now. You know, he sees your heart. But he also, that is also true for believers. That is also true for people who, who know the Lord. You know, God is not going to go, okay, you know, 10 years ago, you gave your life to me. 10 years ago, you believed in me. 10 years ago, you, you got baptized. You know, what he's looking at us as, what are you doing now? Where are you now? Do you think it matters if we say, oh, yeah, well, you know, 20 years ago, I used to volunteer at the church, and I, I helped do this, and I helped countless others. You know, I, I even helped many people come to know the Lord as their Savior, you know, and I did these, and I, and I used to, I used to do, fill up all my Bibles with markings and journals after journals with, with devotions, and I used to pray all the time. What are we doing now? What's going on now in our lives? That's what God is looking at. That's what God is seeing, and that's what we can learn from Nineveh. It didn't matter that they repented at one time. A hundred years, or more than a hundred years later, they were now falling away from him and doing exactly the opposite of what he wanted. This short three-chapter book in the Bible is in the Bible for a reason. It didn't get there to take up space. It's not like, you know, God was like, oh, you know, I'm short some books. What do I, I got to take up some time, so what do we do? You know, it's there to give us that message of what are we doing now. In Philippians 3, 12 through 14, it says, now, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Forward. Not looking behind, not holding on to how we used to be, how we were so in love with God when we first came to church and how we were so willing to read whatever people told us to read and pray whenever we, we knew someone was in need and, and, and change and make the changes that we knew we had to change. What are we doing now? In other words, we can't stay in the past but reach forward for the goals that God has for us. What is our trust in? What are we looking at? What are we counting on? We cannot put our trust and look around in, in our city, in our country. With COVID going on, just turn on the news. There's outrageous things, right, going on in the news. There's abductions. There's riots. Innocent people getting shot in the street, in our streets. Not back in Nineveh, our streets. Watch the news, it'll just show you, you'll be filled with fear and anger. So what do we put our trust in? The Assyrians put their trust in that magnificent city and their great 
walls. But without God, it was all wiped away. This world we live in is so uncertain. So uncertain. I mean, we just recently seen with COVID, the most successful of businesses now shutting down. Healthy, once healthy people, now sick to this mysterious pandemic that basically came out of nowhere and now is affecting the whole world. And I'm not saying that these things happen to people, people got sick or businesses because they deserved it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in this world, bad things are happening. Bad things will happen. We are affected by it. So what do we really have? Where is our hope? Well, in Colossians 1, 12 through 14, it says, And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our only true hope is in the Lord. It's in salvation and life with him for eternity. Because this place, this temporary world, handbasket, right? Yes, our God is slow to anger, because he is merciful and he loves us. But let us never, ever, ever take for granted his grace and abuse his love for us by defying him. Today, what are we doing? Not what we've done how we used to be, how we used to get on our knees and pray and spend time with the Lord. But today, I'm too busy. I have this to do. I have this going on. What are we doing today? How are we now? Because God is looking at us. Today, can there be cracks that are forming in our walls, weakening our walk with the Lord? Because guess what? There is an enemy waiting to attack. He attacks every day. But is our walls going to be weakened? Are we going to let that happen? Or are we going to make a choice and follow God? You know, usually we end our service, sometimes we end our service with a, a salvation prayer. But tonight, I want to I conclude with a renewal prayer. Brothers and sisters, as we, as we hear the message and learn from Nineveh, let us have a renewal in us tonight. So let's pray. Let's pray together. Let's close our eyes and let's, let's bow our hearts to the Lord. Father God, we just thank you. We just thank you, Lord Almighty, the one 
who has the power to destroy us, but God, you have the heart not to destroy us, to love us. Because you are slow to anger, although great in power, renew us, Lord. Where we are right now, where we are today, Lord, can we ask for a renewal in us? There may be somebody who needs a release from from doubt. Somebody who has an addiction that nobody knows about. Maybe there's someone who has resentment towards a co-worker, towards a family member. Maybe they have to forgive someone that they've been estranged from for years. Maybe somebody has a dependency on others instead of you, Lord, and you want their heart. Maybe there's people, someone that has a fear of financial security right now. Maybe there's somebody that's losing hope right this minute, Lord. Maybe someone is abusing someone that they love. We need a renewal of love for you, Lord. Give us a renewal of faith and hope in you, Lord, of obedience to you, Lord. A renewal of seeking you, Lord, above all things, to surrender completely to you. For your forgiveness, Father, if we have strayed and a strengthening in strengthening in our walls, in our walk with you, Lord. You are all-powerful, so we trust that you will answer our prayers, Father. We thank you in advance for what you are already doing and about to do today. In your precious name we pray, and we all say together, brothers and sisters, 